Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Podcorn. Listen, everybody. I subscribed to all the industry podcasts and I joined all the social media groups looking for advice on how to make my podcast bigger, better, and more professional. And something that always comes up is the daunting thought of monetization. Sponsors. How do I get sponsors? Do sponsors even want me? Are the sponsors that do want me something that I want for my brand and my listeners? How much am I even worth with my current listener base? Can I wear white after Labor Day if I'm working from home now? Okay, that one's just for me. But these are all valid questions. Valid questions that usually stop people like me from pursuing sponsors in the first place. And it probably would have stopped me too if I didn't find out about Podcorn. All it took was creating an account, linking my show's analytics to the site, and bam, I was in. I was immediately able to check out all the potential sponsors and choose the ones I thought would be the best fit. You could choose what kinds of ads you want to do from pre-roll like this one to something a little different like interviews and giveaways. I pitched a bunch of sponsors my commercial ideas and chose my own rate, and Podcorn made it so easy. They answered all my questions and helped me every single step of the way. I think Podcorn will be very instrumental in taking the Nomcast to the next level. I'm sounding more professional already. To learn more, check the link in our show notes and sign up for Podcorn today. Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right, this episode is our review of The Woman in the Window, the new psychological thriller from Darkest Hour and Pride and Prejudice director Joe Wright, starring Amy Adams as Anna Fox, an agoraphobic woman living alone in New York who begins spying on her neighbors only to witness a disturbing act of violence. I was joined by actor-comedian Kevin Dolan and actress-comedian Carolyn Payne to help me sift through all the clues of how this movie came to be. We'll talk about the embattled author of the best-selling novel, The Woman in the Window, the troubled production of this film, the move from studio to studio to studio before it landed on Netflix, and much, much more. So stick around for that. Just a quick scheduling note. You may have noticed that we released this episode a little early this week, and that is because we should be having another cool bonus episode later on in the week on Thursday that may have to do with the Netflix original film premiering that very day. So definitely look out for that later on this week. But let's get on with this episode, shall we? After this quick break, we will bring you our review of The Woman in the Window. Thanks for listening. Hey, Field Hang 10. Watch out for a new wave of episodes for Forgotten Cinema Season 9, Forgotten Summer. Ugh, really, Butler, a theme season? Let me guess, we're going to talk about films that were released in the coveted summer months that for some reason seem to be forgotten by audiences. You know it, bro. What we liked about them or maybe didn't. But we'll always recommend people check them out. Maybe they'll find their own Forgotten Summer gem. So check out Forgotten Summer wherever you get your podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hold on, gotta catch this wave. We're sitting at desk in the recording booth. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Cracking One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I'm excited to have this dynamic duo back again, uh, Carolyn Payne and Kevin Dolan, who the last time you guys were here, we did the prom. And so that was, gosh, what, six, seven months ago or, or more now, so. yeah. Yeah, something like that now. And yeah, life is um, 
pretty close to the same. Getting a little, a, a little, a little more uh, out and about, a little more, uh, you know, back to normal. But yeah, still, uh, still on Zoom, still seeing you guys in a very uh, claustrophobic uh, setting, which is perfect for the movie we're going to cover today with the woman in the window. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember a lot of people were saying, "Yeah, this is going to be a perfect pandemic movie." Um, they should have watched it before they said it. So, but we will get there. Uh, this is a very interesting film. But thank you guys so much for being here. My my favorite <laughs> thing about all of this, because um, now the reviews have started to come out. The movie's been out. It's doing well. Uh, it is number one on Netflix. Has been since it came out. So a lot of people are watching this film and. A lot of people were very excited. I know, Kevin, uh, you, sir, you reached out to me very early on saying, I want to be on your episode for this. I can't wait to watch this movie. I read the book. Um, yep. and, and Carolyn, you definitely expressed uh, interest when I when I post that it was coming out and coming up and all that. So I'm glad that you were able to come on because you had a similar experience reading the book and 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 having it be a female lead with red hair. Like you're like, how can they screw this up? But so that's why I'm so fascinated to know how you guys feel now. But we'll we'll start with Kevin. So tell me what it was about the book that made you reach out to me in the first place. Like what because uh, this is a book that was a, a bestseller for weeks on end, and it was done by A.J. Finn, who is the pen name for former book editor Daniel Mallory, and uh, a lot of things have come out about him since then, and now uh, now that we've seen the movie and obviously a lot of differences between the books, what was it about the book, though, that drove you to wanting to see this movie so badly? Well, I was... I- I love any sort of uh, claustrophobic sort of murder mystery type things. Anything even vaguely Hitchcockian, I usually really enjoy. Um, the pace of the book was so in such that in such a way that it was written that I wrote I read it in two days. Mm. So I any any book that could grab me for two days is, is a good deal. Um, and it just it it really it, it just it, it spoke to me because I mean we've all felt this this feeling of you know, being stuck in a place for any long period of time. And it, it made me think about how many times do, do people see things that they totally dismiss? Yeah. But tends to find out that maybe it's something horrific actually going on in their neighborhood. And for sure. the, the sort of willingness or the, the, I should say, the unwillingness of people to believe them. So I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, it just, I tore right through it. So I, that's why I figured, oh, this is going to be a, as long as it's adapted right, it's going to be super. Now, one question I do have now that I've seen the movie too, uh, there are a lot of references to classic Hollywood stuff besides yes. the fact that it is, uh, you know, ruined. Is that also in the book or do they yeah. adapt that straight out as well? Um, Carolyn, you could probably back me up on this. They reference a lot of old movies in the book. Yeah. And they only they only brush across it during that one major scene where she starts, you know, mouthing the words with the, with the movie they're watching. Um, and I find that when you go through the book, the movies that they watch are speaking to what's going on mm-hmm. that night or that day or what she's thinking about when she's in the house by herself. They 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 really you sort of tie that into the story and this they just sort of you know sort of brushed over it yeah carol so what what appealed to you from the book that made you want to reach out as well yeah so i heard about the book and um i had ordered it on from amazon during like peak pandemic like you know peak of quarantine and i was like oh this would be a perfect read I too read it in maybe even less than two days. Like I just binged this book because it really is so, uh, I, I mean, you can't put it down. Once you are like committed to this and, and 
and in this story you can't just stop I mean the and the references to the classic films I loved because I'm a classic film lover the Hitchcock tone to it uh and the book played out so cinematically like if you mm. when you were reading that's it that's a good way to explain, and explain picturing it. That's, it that's right yeah when it was like when you were picturing this in your head I mean it just it was such a captivating film so by the time I was reading this book it had already uh I knew that it was supposed to be a movie and I knew that they had filmed actually a lot of it. And it was right around the time that a lot of this stuff was coming out about the delay with it. So I, I've been waiting for this ever since putting this book down because I really wanted to see how they translated this because it, I mean, it was like almost like a no brainer to take this, uh, to take these characters and to play with that maybe unreliable narrator character. And in the book, the Anna Fox is so layered. I mean, yes, she has yeah. mental illness and alcoholism that is so, it is like heart-wrenchingly described in the book, but she has so much, they're, they're, the layers for her are so well done. Uh, she, well, and Carolyn, don't you think, I mean, when the book talks about her online community, yeah, I mean, her interaction with the people that are suffering oh. the law, the different kinds of losses, yeah, that I wish they would have really flesh that out more because they were it was brilliantly and and heartbreakingly you know relayed related them all that way yeah i felt like the book had so many different emotions for me uh i i love thrillers in general watching them reading them that's sort of the thing i love to consume the most but this book really had a lot more emotional side to it uh that it was really, it was like thought provoking and there were tender moments. I mean, it's, it just, it was really incredible. Like I cannot say enough good about the book. I wish that that is how uh, things turned out for this film. Yeah. Like I said, it definitely, you know, not only resonated with the two of you, it was a very popular book. It was snatched up almost immediately and, and to have it in the hands of someone like Joe Wright, uh, who is uh, an incredible director in his own right between a nods for darkest hour uh being one of the the perfect you know these costume period drama guys with atonement pride and prejudice and anna karenina like he has an incredible history and and to snatch up something like this there was definitely a whole lot of buzz but this movie uh was dealt not only a raw deal but honestly if you know the story about uh quote unquote AJ Finn aka Daniel Mallory um I wish nothing but horrible things for him and everything that comes out of this because there was an amazing article and Carolyn thank you again for sending it to me cuz I knew a lot of the stories I knew a lot about uh, the merger stuff that happened, kind of it being a casualty of, you know, COVID and other such things. But man, the layers and layers of this story about the production uh, and the, the person who wrote the book and everything else is amazing. I'll run through some of the highlights uh, before I get your guys' reaction because I'm I'm not sure how much you know, Carolyn. You obviously sent me the article, but. Kevin, you know, I, I know I don't believe you did. So buckle up. I'm bracing buddy. myself. I'm <laughs> bracing myself. So this movie was originally supposed to be released October 4th of 2019. So already <laughs> a two and a half uh, delay, two and a half year delay. Uh, it was canceled on that date due to poor screenings that confused audiences uh, and they had to bring in uh, script doctor, legendary screenwriter Tony Gilroy to work on the rewrites before they did massive reshoots. Uh, the original screenwriter was is listed as uh, you know Tracy Letts, who is also in the movie, uh, and he admitted that adapting the novel proved more challenging than he had thought. And actually, a later interview, uh, he basically said, um, what's the exact? So it kind of sucked, he said to an article after it got through, because um, he said he got into the weeds with it. He was like, this is really hard. He's a guy who hasn't uh, actually written a screenplay that wasn't adapting one of his own plays. And so even though he's a Pulitzer Prize winner on the stage, you know, he's only done so many uh, screenplays. August Osage County is probably his more notable right. works. And then 
the the release date because of all the production delays got moved to October 19th, 2020. We all know what was going on during that time. So, of course, this would be again delayed. But while this has all been going on, A.J. Finn, the the author, uh, became the subject of a New Yorker story that caught a lot of attention uh, from journalist Ian Parker, who accused of Mallory uh, being a serial liar. Uh, Stuff like... um, I'm sorry, I hate to laugh. Um, Something as benign as he spoke in a British accent when he was not British to the fact fact that he told his colleagues that uh, he had had cancer and a brain tumor, that his mother had died of cancer, that his brother had died of suicide. All not true. Um, Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah. he later uh, said that his deception was an unfortunate side effect of bipolar disorder um but wow uh a lot of stuff that makes him Holy incredibly crap. um tough to deal with uh besides the fact that um a lot of things in this movie as you were saying you know it does reminisce a lot of things from hitchcock um a lot of things that you know mallory kind of suggested uh it suggested that they copied key elements from other sources, uh, notably uh, a 1995 film called, not joking here, Copycat, <laughs> starring Sigourney Weaver, uh, who is an agoraphobic psychologist. Sound familiar? And then, you know, obviously the the wink and the nod to a lot of the Hitchcock stuff here. And then also uh, there, there was stuff that came out later about uh, him copying a 2016 a uh, novel called Saving April that is very uh, notable as well. So all of this mayhem with the author is now so bad that they've now oh. recently said it was optioned, that New Yorker story has been optioned for a TV series starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and everyone knows what type of parts he likes to take. So this guy must be a real piece of work. So, Whoa. Um, so that that's a lot of the color. And then, you know, COVID and... The, uh, the Disney acquisition of Fox, because this was a prior Fox property. Um, so, yeah, that was the casualty of that merger. That's the problem with it. Yeah, that it was, was the first problem well, with it. Yeah. It was supposed to be the last thing. Uh, this was a Fox 2000 project yep. uh, that this was supposed to be the last movie released from that studio before it was uh, shipped off to Disney. And then because of all the, the failed screenings again and, and all the production delays and everything else, uh, Netflix swooped in because uh, it wasn't coming up on uh, it was coming up on the release date. It wasn't going to be ready. Uh, so they swooped in, bought the film and gave it a new release date and kept going back. And now here we are, May 14th, 2021. It finally is released. And oh, by the way, I haven't even mentioned producer Scott Rudin. Who is a, uh, <laughs> a nightmare uh, onto yep. his own, yeah. having an yeah, expose. Yeah, don't talk about Scott Rudin. Mm-mm. Anyone who's in the theater now, Mm-mm. don't speak of Scott Rudin. Mm-mm. Yeah, and now he's he's you know become persona non grata from decades yeah, long abusive yeah. behavior, and uh, yeah, he's stepping back from the entertainment industry because it all got so crazy. Um, so that's. <laughs> everything that's been outlined in that article, Carolyn, when you read that before you sent it to me, how did you feel? Because you sent it to me before you watched the movie or after? After. Um, okay. So I was reading this and I my jaw was on the floor. I was like, this is so salacious. I also wanted to know having, I literally had just watched the movie when this showed up on like my news feed on my phone. And as I was reading it, I was like, still recovering from the shock of this movie being such a shit show and that like (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) yeah that i i was wondering as i was reading this article like at what point did this production team not want to be like you know what this movie is not really good and there's nothing we're doing to make it good maybe we should just and so this is why i kind of agree that this like jake gyllenhaal tv series might be the one even though it's like not this it's not like the great movie from this amazing book that I wanted, but at least we're going to get something out of this like slimy, swarthy mess that we got thrown with this whole backstory that is honestly yeah. so much more intriguing than the movie was. 
So, I mean, as as crazy as this article was to read and to read this story where everything, like every new detail, you're like, what? Are you kidding me? It just, I was like, this is better. I, I, I was more interested in this article and this backstory than I was the movie, which I had to like force myself to finish watching. Yeah, we're borderline. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, documentary about the island of no Dr. Moreau uh, and the, the horrible shoot that they had, like where the, the, the documentary was way better than the actual yeah. movie and the story sure. was that. We're bordering that, except n off screen, off, sta you know, off uh, camera Although stuff. I, but I am oof. sure there is some like there has to be footage of filming this like there's i would love to see like some stuff that happened behind closed doors with this i really hope that like they I, when you have to bring actors back months later for reshoots like that's bad 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 Real we've bad. all had it we've we've all done them yeah and normally it's within uh the most i ever had to come back for a reshoot is a month and that's that's pull that's pushing it because it's a couple it's usually a couple of weeks after that they realize we need to make these twinks now before we have it yeah. before we have it released because it's a mess you know but i yeah months later mm -mm. that's that's bad yeah and this was also speaking of netflix amy adams was in the process of shooting hillbilly elegy at the time so even the the scheduling around that all got really muddled and you know i i know uh cuz i i i was able to actually um participate in a uh, the woman in the window kind of like presser thing where they uh -huh. had a lot of the, the stars that were in it talking about it. And they talked about some of the production details. My goodness. It, it's, it's interesting considering now watching the movie, but they, they showed how they made the house from scratch where basically uh -huh. like they, they built yeah. that thing. So that way they can go up and above rooms and they, it was a whole sound stage. Well, let me tell you, that is the, that's one of the best parts of the movie and in the book it's essential it's mm -hmm. like another character in the book and yeah, I, I don't know if carol agrees to it but it's you the way that it's written you can picture it in your mind yeah floor by floor yeah and the idea that the house is so large and her world is so small is it's it's a really interesting you know dichotomy there mm -hmm. and it's just you just you just didn't get that get that in the movie I, I didn't feel that at all in the movie. No, so, you had such, and if that was the case, they they built that from a soundstage. You have so much room to play in, and they just they didn't use it the right way. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, I actually thought that the set design of the house and the way they built it was one of the most brilliant choices that happened. Yes. And I, but yep. I agree, it was so poorly utilized. There was that one shot at the end where the camera kind of follows her down the stairs and you have this uh -huh. sort of like dollhouse exterior of experiencing the house. And I was like, shit, they could have used shots like that the whole time. That yeah. really yeah. kind of made her feel like this like tiny doll in this house, like trapped. And, and they didn't, they just didn't. So it was like, I, I don't know. It, it was like, did nobody, did, what happened here? <laughs> I think that this movie got gutted, quite frankly, between all the reshoots and all the confusion that, you know, a lot of audiences felt and everything else that I think there was more. And, and especially because you, you mentioned the dollhouse thing, the movie opens on kind of looking at the dollhouses that are in the house and all the stuff like that. And, and then they go so far, I mean, with the Hitchcock stuff that they do kind of, a you know, homages to vertigo with some of the shots and, and things like that. And you can really tell that they tried to make this, it, it, it I'm trying to be delicate because, like I said before, uh, I don't remember if it was off mic or not, but Rear Window is one of my favorite movies of all time. So if you're sure. going to try to touch Hitchcock, you better do it differently enough and make it entertain. Make it, make it so that way I can't say to you, this wasn't great on its own merit. you got to give me something that makes it unique and makes it stand out. And, uh, you know, the agoraphobic thing versus, say, a broken leg and kind of that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, entrapment, uh, that kind of isolation, that kind of, you know, helplessness. Well, you know, Ant 
uh, is not something that they d- sold here either. And I think that's where a lot of the issues stem from it. Well, you know, the biggest, one of the, the most glaringly uh, bad choices they made was in the book, there's a park between her house and uh, the Russell's house. Yeah. And that, there's a very gut-wrenching scene when she sees what's happened and she battles her way through the park and she she collapses they didn't use that and i think that's a really that was a really bad idea that that was a really bad idea because that really and that hurt that happens early on in the book where you you know you could almost feel the fact that she couldn't breathe yeah, before we get into the movie a little bit farther, I just kind of want to go over, at least for, for my audience's sake and anything else, like the, the things we kind of touched on earlier, you know, noting from what this movie was cribbed from and everything else. Uh, the film is about an agoraphobic woman living alone in New York who begins spying on her new neighbors only to witness a disturbing act of violence. Uh, if that doesn't sound familiar from either things we said before or Rear Window, I don't know what does. Um, uh, did did it bother you at all reading the books going like this story sounds very, very, very familiar? Either of you? Well, I felt like it was done in the book in a more because it referenced all these movies and not just Hitchcock movies, other movies, too. It felt like it was just kind of like using that as a reference point and sort of like a common ground to connect the reader. So like for me, like I said, again, if you knew classic films, like you would have these little aha moments like Kevin talked about where it sort of kind of set the scene and related to what was happening. So it was done in a very clever manner. So it didn't feel like a ripoff of a Hitchcock story, which, you know, it didn't feel like some sort of retelling of Rear Window. There were elements of that. But it felt like uh, more, it, especially knowing that this character, as you get to know her, that there could be, uh, you know, how much is in her head, how much is real, knowing that she's like a classic film lover and that she's influenced by this and the author, too, it began, it helped you challenge whether what you believed and what you thought was going to happen. Yeah, I no, I agree. That's, that's absolutely correct. I, I echo her sentiment because... Um, I think if it if it did, if it was so obvious, I wouldn't have bothered finishing the book. Right. I would have, if if I felt that, I would be like, eh, uh, and it wouldn't have caught me there. But like I said, there was a lot of there were so many other relationships. And I, listen, I'm not a fool. I know that it, monetarily you cannot shoot a four hour movie. Um, <laughs> but there were so many other things in the book that it could have used that would have made it's so much better. Well, I guess that's to me, sorry to interrupt you, but that to me was kind of the bothersome thing as I read this article about the problems and saw the movie. I was like, why didn't they just make this a mini series or, you know, a series? Well, because I was thinking the same thing, because if you follow the book, that could have been a solid eight episodes. Yeah. It it could have been a solid eight episodes. Really? Yes. And it could have, if it was written correctly, you could have felt the tension build, build, build. And that I think that would have been perfect. Yeah, because to me, it, it it you know just obviously watching an hour and forty minute movie, uh, I didn't feel like there was a lot of meat on the bone. At least again from no, their no, perspective, no. yeah. You know, this movie, the with. movie that you saw is like a is a carcass, absolutely. But yeah. uh, if if they had taken the book and really played with everything that was there and developed the characters and and again characters that aren't even in this movie there would have been so much more uh to work with and to play with and to uh i I mean there's just so many things that you could have had and and the moment the reveals i don't know how many spoilers were given but um some of the reveals we'll wait on some of those yeah (laughs) but some of those would have had a lot more impact punch to it Mm -hmm. yeah sure Yeah, and obviously, uh, from what I hear, they also rearranged the order in which the reveals actually happened, too, So from the movie, from the book. So, yeah, uh, we'll get there, trust me, (laughs) once we get into spoiler territory, for sure. Um, The things that we're we're bringing up, though, I mean, I'm a person who loves a lot of 
uh, classic films, especially thrillers and Hitchcock and things like that. Kevin, I know you're the same way. If yep. anyone shows uh, Kevin's social media presence, it's basically uh, all – it's Movies. nothing about yeah. him. It's all nope. about classic Hollywood. Um, <laughs> and this thing, as a person who appreciate, I, I I felt like if if this was done correctly or maybe I could have been – a person who fell for the book if I had read it um, because it does. It talks about, you know, it sh- shows the shot from rear window very early. It has the, the, the shot that they do with the, the vertigo falling down the stairs. Uh, look, uh, they talk about, or they show, um, what is it? Spellbound, Laura and dark passage all uh, in here. There's a lot of similarities to witness to murder, uh, with yes. this story as well. So there's a lot of things that, you know, it's one thing to pay homage and there's another thing to feel like you're a ripoff or giving lip service or fan service to people who appreciate these things. And I mm. think from what I'm hearing from you and obviously how the response has been to the film versus the book is that it didn't capture the things no. that people would have loved from the book too here that there's some level of disconnect. And one of the things that uh, Netflix did on their social media account, they put out a, uh, the woman in the window cheat sheet to kind of tell you uh, some of the things to expect or what type of movie it is. And I laughed super hard uh, when they said it was a murder mystery uh, of what lies beneath meets the thrilling intensity of rear window. And I was like, okay, number one, um, <laughs> What Lies Beneath is actually a good example of uh, acknowledging the tropes of Hitchcock while getting more supernatural and updating Hitchcock in a way that's Zemeckis' film from back I in love 2000. That. I love that and, movie. Yeah. yeah, it's it's intense. It, it does all the right notes. It hits all the right beats. It it, it, it knows what it's doing. and But clearly clearly takes a lot of Hitchcock's framing and and use of score and and tension and and really sells it correctly this movie is a thriller that didn't thrill there was it hasn't really done much for anybody um I heard a comparison today uh while I was listening to uh the big picture podcast one of my favorites they compared it to the girl on the train that was released uh in 2016. And I yeah. love Emily Blunt. I love, I love Emily Blunt too. I yeah. love the book. I love the yeah. book. And it was another one of those situations where you're like, it didn't work. Yeah. It just I, didn't and you're work. Like, I, I didn't care who was killing people in Westchester, wherever the hell they were supposed <laughs> yeah, to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and it's sad because, again, another very popular book uh, with bi- big names attached. And I thought this was going to be another thriller that I can enjoy. And it didn't work. And this one didn't work. It kind of comes off as a movie of the week style, which is terrible considering. The, and I used the... to do those. And I <laughs> did better ones. But sure. Yeah. I'm sure. It, uh... But, I mean, like I said, between Joe Wright directing. You have, you know, Scott Rudin obviously is now his career is, you know, in the toilet, but, but he has a massive, massive filmography of quality productions. Danny Elfman does the score for this film. I didn't feel Which the score doing well. And, and, and actually, because of the production delays, um, this was supposed to be an Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor uh, score, yeah. which would have been even more menacing and kind of deep uh, into that kind of you know yeah. thriller tension stuff. Think social network Fincher stuff, which is way more the mood yeah. and, and lighting and tension guy that you would want, not Joe Wright. Um, and then obviously it, that doesn't even get into uh, the cast here. The cast, uh, you guys mentioned it when you were like, why you anticipated this movie, Amy Adams. You know, they thought this was, you know, because, again, two and a half years ago, they're like another bite at the apple for the Academy Awards. She had been nominated multiple times and hasn't won. They're like, this is going to do it. You have Julianne Moore here, uh, which they're both going to be in Dear Evan Hansen. Hopefully that they have a better fate uh, for their combination later on. Um, Gary Oldman here, who has worked with Joe Wright in Darkest Hour and won best actor uh you know in with that film at the oscars wyatt russell who i actually still like in this movie i I don't think anyone was bad let me put that out there i don't think the cast was bad um some people are 
um, useless. Like, I don't know why Jennifer Jason Lee is here. Like, I, I don't understand why they put a name into that role, but okay. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, other like Anthony Mackie, Brian Tyree Henry, a lot of people I like. And yet none of this works at all. Can I ask a question? Sure can. And I want to ask Carolyn this too. What what I was thinking about when I watched this, what would have happened if they switched it and put um, Julianne Moore in Amy Adams' role? So I, I have to be honest with you. I actually think maybe it could have fared better. Um, I, I think Amy Adams is is really i think she's really good i think she was missed oh i do too no i'm not saying yeah that, but... i think she was misdirected in this movie and i think yeah. she was tapping into something she just didn't hit it and again if from the book perspective where you had this very layered character who just gave you heartbreak and and thrills and and laughs and like you really went on a journey with her i amy adams like i never i i couldn't get to her with this. Julianne Moore is an interesting actress to me because there is something where she can kind of play unhinged, but in mm -hmm. a very like kind of controlled way uh, that, right. that I, right. I mean, I really do wonder like if they had just been like, you know what, we were gonna just switch this around. Uh, I wouldn't, I. I wouldn't say that it could say have saved this movie because I don't. I, I no no no. I don't think. So but either. I but think I, it might have been more interesting. Is, what was the What was the movie that she did where she was the Bakelite heiress who was crazy, who had sort of an incestuous relationship with her son? Uh, what saving was it? Grace something Grace something like that. I know what you're getting. Yeah, and, but mm. she that not when you were saying to be controlled and unhinged at the same time. I think that's what I was thinking when I saw it. But no, you're right. I don't know if they, she would have saved it, but I think it might have been a little bit more interesting. Well, I would hope also, and not to disparage any age discrepancies in anyone's relationships, but God damn, Gary Oldman was too old for Julianne Moore in this movie, let alone if you swap them with Amy Adams. I don't think that uh, comes off very well uh, at all. But I also think uh, Julianne Moore, I don't even know if she read the script. She probably just was like, ooh, I get to try my Boston accent from 30 Rock again? Sign me up. Right. Um, so I don't know if that was a, a bonus for her, but she yeah. seems to, to never turn them down. Uh, that's for sure. Um, just to, to give people the tempo on this one as far as the discourse out there, the previous reviews before we get into our own, uh, obviously you're saying we're not very happy, but a lot of people are not. Um, this movie has a 5.8 on IMDb, a 40 Metascore, a 26% tomato meter, and a 40% audience score. So it's not like people uh, you know, are sitting there going, God, the critics are we're too hard on the Nope. That is not the case. Uh, everybody up and down all over the place um, are, are really laying into this film. And I uh, will join in on that uh, because, you know, I felt when I was watching the movie that it doesn't do enough in this incarnation, not th to say anything about the book, but this incarnation, it just doesn't, it's so benign and it doesn't, it tries to honor Rear Window and changes pers per the perspective enough to move past the fact that it's a complete ripoff. But ultimately, what it should have borrowed from that movie, from Rear Window, is the charm and charisma of its lead and at least give you a true feeling of the helplessness and handicap of its lead. I mean, the agoraphobia doesn't seem to factor in as much as the broken leg does in Rear Window. Uh, mm. I, didn't, I didn't feel... I don't know how you feel, and we'll obviously get into spoilers soon, but the thing that is revealed late for her the, about her, her family situation, I feel like they should have like led with that. Give, give some humanity to this woman, because they did nothing for her character to give any kind of sense of like why I'm rooting for her. And then, honestly, the because the, at least it would have given me something to work with, because... Even when the reveal happens later in the film for for what happened to her, it it doesn't do anything. I thought it brought the film to a grinding halt, 
And I thought that it also just was like, great, more things for me to hate about her. So I, I didn't think that worked in terms of the composition of the script uh, for what it reveals about this movie. And then the, 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 the twist, the ultimate twist at the end of how this thing uh, transpired, it didn't pay off at all to me. I thought it was as obvious from, from, from jump street that this was the case. And, and I think also it, for it to be a good thriller, I, I can have things be obvious, but for me, especially cause I always like to rewatch these films to give them a, a, a better shake. And especially on rewatch, I wanted to look for the signs, the clues, the conversations to, to try to figure out the puzzle pieces. And a lot of times that's where you can truly see the craft of the writing and, and the composition and the directing and uh it only got worse so caroline i'll start with you because you seem to be biting your fingers off waiting to uh to to get at this thing where do you think the biggest disconnect from the book to the movie happened and where do you think this went wrong if you think it went wrong it seems like you think that way oh it went so wrong um this movie derailed for me <sighs> Got, I don't know, probably like shortly after the credits. Like <laughs> I, I I was all I I was so psyched up and uh and and then just realized maybe about ten minutes in, I was like, uh oh, we're in trouble here. I guess I mean are we doing spoilers or what where are we at here with this? I would say keep it peripheral for now and then we'll uh, launch okay. into all that after we well, get the initial thoughts. So out. I mean the, what I think, you know, in the end with the reveal of like what you know what is going on for her in every sense, mm. as far as like, you know, the, the, what she has seen and believes she has seen and what happened to her in the past that kind of got her to this point. I think that it's just, it, you don't give a shit when you're watching this movie. <laughs> so yeah. that's what I mean. That like 10 minutes in, you're like, I don't care for this character, which was shocking because in the film, I mean, in the book, you, you really do care for her. And then interestingly enough, the other characters, uh, her, her young neighbor that, you know, he's a really important character. Uh, he it is so the, the adaptation from the book for him was brutal. And really mm -hmm. that kind of ruined it because I, I think that that, relationship between them and who he is and his whole story and how that plays out and uh i i think that that is where things went really really wrong for me and it just felt like the whole time like there was either a writing problem a directing problem because there were scenes that were like so oddly paced like mm. there's that first scene where her neighbor the boy comes over and they're having this like back and forth like rapid fire dialogue that is so yeah. out of character for the rest of the film and the pacing and how the dialogue is that it was like that had been directed by a totally different person than literally another scene where it's just everything is playing out in like slow underwater motion so yeah the between the pacing and the bizarre character lack of the lack of character formation. I mean, it just, it led you to be like, I don't really care what happens. I'm just going to fall asleep here on the couch. So <laughs> Kevin, do, did you feel the same way uh, in yeah, the translation? I, well, I tried, I tried my best to hang in, but I would say probably 15 minutes in same situation. The translation just was not there. Um, it didn't give, it didn't, give you the right feeling or the right sense of of this house and i think what bothered me most about it was and i like i said earlier if they had adapted the book so that you got a sense of what her house felt like to her so you could actually do a pan of the different rooms where you could see exactly how or what she's dealing with in terms of how it's devolved because her, her world has devolved. You're not really sure why at that point, but it would have been able to, you would have been able to get little snippets or little Easter eggs if you just watched, even if you didn't read the book, where you could actually see what she sees every day, what she looks at every day. Right. Which is which would be super important. 
And it was like that in the book. I love the feeling that the book was very, um, it, it, it read like a screenplay to me because it was so, um, uh, the, the, the way that was descriptive, the descriptive manner of the book was fantastic where right. you could actually you close your eyes and feel what, what she was feeling. At this point, when I saw it, I closed my eyes and hoped it would just go away. Right. Um, because it, and it was a massive, massive disappointment. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I think, I think we're all on the same page here. A lot of people have been panning this movie. It seems to be a real disconnect from the book to the film adaptation, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the film and you've hung on this long, God bless you. But let's, uh, let's get into, uh, spoilers a little bit because there are a lot of things here as a person who, like I said, did not read the book, um, that just make no sense whatsoever including uh my favorite thing that i wrote in my notes nothing like an attempt on your life to cure your mental illness um that's always fun um i i can't wait for that to become uh set into practice there's so many things here that were just so either inconsequential or ham-fisted or uh, just didn't pay off in any regard i mean for the fact that just even explaining her level of anxiety mental illness that she has right now and the cause for it and everything else it makes no sense and is very insulting to people who actually have agoraphobia or this level of anxiety and like i said from and even if you buy that she has this or the selectivity of it or any of it that she hasn't processed out apparently they do a terrible job of making it seem like that this is crippling to her that it's it's really uh, an issue um and i don't know they didn't give enough i have to i have to that. tell you what what really irked me was the casual way they show what kind of medications she takes yeah and that she enjoys them with alcohol yeah and she makes it very sort of it was very value of the dolls to me it was like, let's just take a handful of pills and a glass of wine and we'll see what the day, how the day shakes out. But her delusions make no sense yeah. to me. The fact that they're so just tied to her family and nobody else. Like, if you take all the stuff that happens to her over this, which, by the way, did it need to be a week where we count the days? Um, like, but anyway, the uh, what happens to her. The only thing that ends up being a delusion that her actual hallucinations or issues that she has is all like just her talking to her family, which uh, it seems to be something that maybe was happening before all this and and then immediately goes away after she you know moves on months later. Yeah, well, in the book, all of that is so beautifully crafted yep. that... You know, it really, it's a totally different experience with this character and this story and her mental illness. All of it is so differently portrayed in the book that I agree. In this movie where it is kind of this like Valley of the Dolls, pop some pills, have some wine, talk to your dead family in your head, watch a movie, right. laugh, cry, like see a murder. Like, I mean, it was so, it was just no emotion was carried into it. Uh that and no thought process there was no like general psyche like you got from the book where you're like oh i'm inside this character's really sad sick head and i care about it uh right. this was really and you know mental I mean, mental illness yeah. is such a hot button issue and i feel like this movie does it a disservice in so many ways completely yeah uh yeah it really i think that that is probably the worst part about this to me well you know and when she in the book there were i don't know and i'm i i forgive me i don't know the exact number but there's got to be at least a dozen interactions with her and her daughter on the phone mm. uh and her and her husband on the phone um where you you literally are are hoping that they could make some sort of a connection right. until you learn you know what happened to them but yeah up until that point and carolyn maybe you're a bit more sophisticated than i am but when i found out what happened to them i was genuinely shocked because i wasn't i thought there was something wrong yeah but i i was not prepared for you know the entire yeah the entire you know 
area of destruction that she had to deal with. Well, that's what I mean. Like in the movie, when that reveal happens, it's like in, they really try to make that like hit you too. They're trying to like, in the movie, they're like, stopping time and there's just you know the whole thing with the snow, the snow in the, the car in the living room yeah and, I, and in the book when you find out about that it is it rips your heart out because you yep. do believe that she is separated from them and there are like sort of indications that you know maybe something's a little off but uh and then in the book as you find out that she kept her daughter a lot. Her daughter was not killed immediately in the crash and yep. she had to sit there with her for hours oh, as God. she died. Yeah. 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 And it's so, it is, it just, it really like rips you apart. And then in the movie where they just do this like cheesy special effect and are like, Dr. Fox, your family is dead. Like Jennifer oh, Jason Lee just like delivers so like some bitchy. It was, it was really, it was really, really bad. But it was, yeah, it like was that was. And then what, what I thought was absolutely ridiculous. I thought they were going to break into some sort of song oh. was the look <laughs> on all, the way they, the way they had all of those other like characters. Like standing. Just standing there. Yeah. The staging was, was very. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, the staging and the way they plotted that out was not theatrical at all. It looked like it was a film stage play. And I wonder if that's somewhat the the effect of Tracy Letts here. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not like his previous adaptations from his stage plays were this, no. you know, kind of. But I mean, it's it's tough because it's it's a it's a it's a piece that is very claustrophobic and doesn't have a, a ton of settings and. I, it's so weird. It's like I've never seen so many people in frame just like listening to a woman babble on and 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 uh, like it. It seemed like a a bad outtake from Knives Out. Like why are there this many people in this room no, all I, staring at one person all at the same time? I'm telling you, I think the fault here has to really land with the direction because there are so many moments where it's like a completely different directing style. And that was one of them where they have these characters, they like slowly turn and just stare at her and they're all in this like dance formation. And there's like the car with the snow in the background just sitting in her living room and she's like monologuing like a super villain. And you're like, who the fuck staged this and thought that, but, and then literally 10 minutes before that, there's a whole other directing style happening. And when you're trying to do an homage to Hitchcock, who is, you know, this director who curated these amazing films that all like took on these, you know, just ace of directing skills. And then to do this where it was like every moment you were like, wait, did, did somebody else come in and do this? Did you call out sick that day and have like <laughs> your intern direct this scene? Like, what the fuck is this? So I think that to me, that's where I, 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 that's it's so funny kevin that you mentioned that because that was yeah. like to me i was like yep this movie is dead to me well i think the the other big thing which just made me crazy was the exposition like there's a big problem with your skylight up there if you're not careful uh, something could fall yeah, through yeah, <laughs> yeah like, we're not. Yeah. i wonder if we're gonna if that's gonna be important later yeah, yeah. i just no. Yeah. It's in the book Isn't where they talk about the skylight, uh, they about having problems, but it's not it it just it the book has so many layers that it didn't feel yeah. you know, you didn't get that like plugged in there like, oh, noted, we'll look for that later. <laughs> yeah. And I think like the and the, what what really irked me was right in when she when she connects with uh with Jane or with Julianne Moore's character. You have to listen when, and it was a really important line and they threw it away. But she was like, oh, you're Jane Russell. And he, she goes, what makes you say that? Yeah. It's just, it's important things that got thrown away. And once again, it goes back to who's directing you and how they want it done. Because that, that certainly wasn't the first take. That scene itself is so crucial to the success yep. of the film, but the way they structure it, and especially looking back on that conversation as time progresses, they make it seem like it it could have been a complete illusion. But the fact that this was all real, it now seems clumsy, stunted, uh -huh. 
uh, bizarre, like no, uh, false force. Like there's so many obnoxious lines, insulting lines, like to call your house shitty and then continue to talk to this woman like your buddy buddy makes no sense unless it's a delusion because um, it's just it's incredibly blunt um, at, to the point of th- she goes to leave and is like, oh, unless you want you don't want me to leave or whatever. It's like, no, I don't know you. Get the fuck out of my house. Like, why would you? There is no reason for that to carry on. Um, and, and and that is such a big scene between that one, the one we mentioned where it's revealed about her family's, uh, you know, accident and, and her role in that. And then the, the, obviously the, the end, which I felt got incredibly cartoonish. Well, here's, uh, here's the other thing that really irked me was when she sees what she thinks is a murder in the book, the frenetic, frantic pace that she runs around the house, wondering what she can do. Yeah. She didn't, that's not, that's not translated here. That's what I'm saying. The the helplessness never comes across. She never, she just sort of ran to the door and like crawled out. The way that that was written, I mean, she had to summon whatever little strength she had left to even make it to the door yeah you know what i mean it was it was really just a an all-around disappointment well i'll tell you what guys the the one thing that was not an all-around disappointment is you guys coming on here and breaking this down for me (laughs) so i appreciate both of you coming through for me that that is amazing you know because like i said i did not read the book but as a person who you know like any any good product, I shouldn't have to. I should get all the information that's necessary. Sure. There there should be all the thrill, all the tension, all the you know everything that they set up needed to pay off, and God did none of it pay mm-hmm. off. And it's such a waste of talent uh, between the cast, yeah. and the crew, yeah. and everything else. I think between the reshoots, multiple writers uh, working on it, and and COVID delays and, and God, just so many things that plagued this movie. Uh, it had red flags this whole way. And uh, the only thing that paid off was all the red flags still appeared. So, um, yeah. you know, tough break. Uh, I'm sorry, you guys, uh, you know, po- pretty much disappointed again. I guess uh, you were both a little disappointed with the prom too. And, and now... I'd sooner watch the prom back to back. Yes. This. I would yeah. watch it on a loop for 24 yeah. hours yeah. to watch this yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's saying a lot. So, yeah, thank you for making me watch two of the worst movies ever on Netflix. So, hey. you know, let me uh, – we'll, we'll come back when uh, something – you know, the next horrible thing comes out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there will yeah, be. I'll, be good. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get you guys on the horn for that one, too. Maybe the musical version of Death of the Salesman. That'll be good. That'll be <laughs> that real good. can't miss. Yeah, yeah. no. Mm-mm. I heard Willie Loman has a great tap number. <laughs> are there any other books that you high on, uh, have on high esteem that you can ask uh, the studios to rip a rip to shreds? No, because I don't trust the studios. That's what it is. <laughs> no. just, I'll stay with the book. You know what? I think that this is just a lesson to everyone to just like read a book. Just go yeah. read a book right now because it's going <laughs> to be better than anything that you can watch. Apparently. Um, and listen to your nomcast. That's the other. Yes, yes. I appreciate that. Stick to podcasts and books. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nothing well, bad. I appreciate that, guys. Uh, although one book you're not going to read is uh, Daniel Mo- uh, Mallory, whatever his name is, uh, second book, because that book deal got canceled right quick so um so you won't be seeing anything from aj finn or whatever uh the the pseudonym there or whatever uh was it's not gonna happen but i appreciate you guys coming on you guys nailed uh everything that i had in my notes and and then some so thank you guys for coming on anything you guys i know life is starting to sort of come back to normal uh some gigs and things like that tell the people where they can find you maybe to uh see you maybe live and in person this summer i don't know carolyn what do you got going on uh yeah you can just follow me uh carolynpain.com uh or you know find me on social media and all that stuff to see what i'm up to next and uh you can hear me fairly regularly on the colin McEnroe show the nose on wnpr so uh hopefully i'll be out there in the world doing things now very cool 
And not just sitting by your window uh, and watching not the cops just, yeah. go crazy. Yeah, I had quite the, right before recording this, I got to live the woman in the window in a much more entertaining way. Need, needless to say, I really think I was a better, uh, I was better than Amy Adams. <laughs> Gonna throw it out there. I was a better heroine in the situation. <laughs> I could buy that. Yeah. Kev, what do you got going on? Oh, well, you could find me at uh, Big Y at 7 a.m. on Saturday running errands. <laughs> 7 a.m.? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, but no, I just, uh, I, I'm trying to eke out a living in comedy, but it's, you know, slowly coming back. But, I was you know, to say, like you, you've said, been at some of the, the shows I see online, so you're you're back to work. That's good. Yeah, I'm back to work. I'm back to work. But, you know, the, the, the movie deals aren't there anymore. It's just a shame. But it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> It's well, all right. I'm, I'm powering through. Well, we talked off air about some projects you were working on, so hopefully those pan out for you. I know maybe you probably yeah. can't put them on microphone. No, I but can't, at least... but it would be good if something good. So everybody cross their fingers. Absolutely. Thank you guys again for doing this. And, Our uh, pleasure. Yeah. I appreciate it, and we'll, we'll ruin something else next time. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thank you.